We're going to be looking today at Luke, the 14th chapter. Specifically, we want to take note of what is recorded in verses 25 through 33 as we think about the theme, getting on board with the Lord. In this context, Jesus sets forth some essentials for becoming one of his disciples. Jesus, of course, was interested in people becoming his followers. He was interested in people following in his footsteps. And so when we look at this particular passage of scripture, we need to understand that what the Lord is doing here is laying a foundation upon which we can build our lives in his service. In other words, here is how we become a disciple of his, and here are some of the things that are required of us as his disciples. First, I want to call your attention to the gracious call to discipleship. In verses 25 and 26, here's what is said. And great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate or love less his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. When we talk about the scope of discipleship or this gracious call, First and foremost, I would call attention to the fact that there was the possible interest in discipleship by those present on this occasion. Again, Luke tells us that great multitudes, some translations say great crowds followed him. You and I, we can understand why people followed the Lord. Some people wanted to follow him because of what he had to say. In other words, they wanted to hear him. In Mark chapter 12 at verse 37, Mark tells us that the common people heard him gladly. Can you imagine here is Jesus Christ, the greatest teacher to have ever lived, and you have the opportunity to listen to what he has to say. So there were some people, they just wanted to hear what he had to say. Others, however, wanted to be healed by him. We think about all of the people that are recorded in the New Testament. I think about a woman that had a blood disease for some 12 years. She wanted to be in the presence of Jesus because she understood, she knew that it would be through him that she could be healed. That's just one example. But there were many people that wanted to hear him. Some wanted to, to hear him and some wanted to, to be healed by him. Some wanted, no doubt, to just see his physical presence. So great multitudes followed the Lord. But then there is a second thing here, and that is the invitation to discipleship. Listen again to what Jesus said, if anyone comes to me. What we need to understand is that this idea of discipleship, it's open to everyone, to anyone. All people have the opportunity to become a disciple of the Lord. The Lord, as I said a moment ago, he's interested in cultivating disciples. The word disciple means a learner. One writer has said that a disciple is one who attaches himself or herself 
to a teacher to learn a trade or a subject. Some would say that a disciple would, would be compared today to an apprentice. Here's somebody that learns his or her trade by doing and seeing. Well, no doubt, the people in the first century, they had the opportunity to watch Jesus, to see how he dealt with people, to listen to what he had to say, and they could have learned. Jesus is interested in making disciples. He wants us to be his disciple. What, I think what we need to understand is that when it comes to discipleship, no one is excluded. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, rich or poor, educated, uneducated, famous or unknown. It really makes no difference. God is interested in people becoming his disciples. But now there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. And that is the great cost of discipleship. What are the sacrifices demanded by our Lord to become one of his disciples? In other words, what is it that the Lord expects from me? Well, he wants me to count the cost. And I think there are two things in this section of scripture that we need to see. First, the illustrations. Jesus uses two illustrations to underscore the importance of counting the cost. And what he's saying is before you and I get on board, before we sign on the dotted line, so to speak, and become one of his disciples, we need to understand what's entailed. What is it he expects from me? Well, what he's saying is you need to count the cost. You need to step back and think about Here's what's going to be required of you. So he uses two illustrations. First of all, Jesus talks about a man intending to build a tower. So having said that, listen to what he says. Verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now you and I today, we understand that before we undertake a building project, what do we have to do? Well, one of the things, we better make sure that we have the funding. Sometimes individuals get started in a building project, project and the, the, the funding runs out. And so, You've got to make sure that you've got all the bases covered. That's what Jesus is saying here. Before you start to build, before you start to lay that foundation, you better make sure that you've got, you've got proper funding. Well, how does that relate to Christianity? Before you launch out into the deep and say, I'm going to be one of your disciples and I'm going to live and serve you all of my life, you better step back and ask yourself, what's it going to cost me? Am I willing to... Am I willing to persevere through thick and thin? Am I willing to stay the course? Do I have what it takes to be one of his disciples? And then there is a second illustration used by Jesus. And this is the king who's going to war. 
So listen to what he says. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Again, what Jesus is saying is, count the cost. Here's a king, he's got 10,000 soldiers. He's going up against another king that has 20,000 soldiers. Before you launch out and make war with somebody who has greater resources and more manpower, you better say, can we, can we get the job done? I mean, we don't have the resources, we don't have the manpower, can we get the job done? Well, again, the Lord is simply saying, count the cost. I know if I were the leader of a nation and we were undermanned, undersized, and we were going up against another nation, far greater, superior, greater manpower, greater resources, I'd have to think about it. Jesus is not trying to discourage people from becoming his disciples, not at all. All he's saying is, before you become one of my disciples, you need to think about what, what it costs. Sometimes people are quick to obey the gospel. And they become a, a child of God, but they've never really given time and consideration to what's entailed. Christianity is a lifelong commitment. There are going to be good days and bad days. There are going to be highs and lows, joys and frustrations. And what Jesus is saying is, step back, count the cost. Do you have what it takes to be one of his disciples? Sometimes people obey the gospel and then you never hear from them again. In other words, they go back into the world. Why? Because they didn't count the cost. Christianity is more than just being baptized into Christ. That's, that's the start. But there is a lifetime of commitment and service that follows. So the illustrations and then secondly, the expectations. What is it that the Lord requires from me to become his disciple? Well, first of all, the supremacy of affections. When it comes to my affections, what Jesus is saying is he wants to be first. So having said that, listen again to what he says in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, and really what, what he's saying here is, is this. If anyone comes to me and does not love less, in terms of priority or preeminence, Jesus is saying, in relationship to our affections, he wants to be number one. He wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, as he would say in Matthew chapter 22. So he says we have to love him more than father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, so, we have to put the Lord, number one, in terms of our affections. Sometimes people are quick to obey the gospel. And maybe they are the only person in their family that is a member of the church. In other words, the only person in, in their family that's a child of God. 
And so at some point in time, the family members say, look, it's either us or the Lord. Well, what the Lord's saying is, you've got to love me enough, you've got to love me enough to place me above any and everything, even family members. But then there is a second thing, and that is the selfless attitude and actions that are called for. Now, look at verse 27. In verse 27, Jesus said, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What about this selfless attitude and actions called for by Jesus? Two things here. First of all, to become a child of God, there has to be what Scripture says is death to self. I have to be willing to die to self. We live in a world that in many respects is selfish. And what the Lord's calling for, he's calling for people who are selfless when it comes to service in the kingdom. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I've got to be willing to place his interest above mine. I've got to be willing to place his will above mine. There may be things that, there may be things in my life that I have to be willing to give up, to forsake if you please, to become one of his followers. Paul in Galatians chapter six at verse 14 would say, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ to whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Really what Paul is saying there is that when he became a child of God, he died to the love and the practice of sin. He got out of the sinning business. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5 at verse 24 that those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lust. Do you remember what he said in Romans 6 verse 3? Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? A death takes place. A new man emerges. In other words, we die to the love and the practice of sin. We rise to walk in newness of life. We're children of Almighty God. We belong to the King, that is, King Jesus. But then there is a second thing that I think we need to see. Not only is there death to self, but there is the possibility of death as it relates to self. Listen again to what Jesus said. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be cannot be my disciple. I think what Jesus is saying here to these first century people is that in order to follow me, it may well be the case that you suffer death at the hands of the Romans. It might have been the case that some of the people to whom the Lord was speaking on this occasion suffered death by crucifixion at the hands of the Romans. So you talk about counting the cost. We're talking about submitting ourselves 
to the Lord, dying to the love and the practice of sin, getting out of the sinning business, but even more so, willingly accepting death if the need were to arise. So you can see why Jesus is saying, look, you better count the cost because to follow me may, may entail the death of your physical being. Do you remember what Jesus said in Revelation chapter two at verse 10, be faithful unto death? That is, in the face of death, what do you do? You be faithful. Why? Because as Jesus would say in Matthew chapter five, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. There's a third thing I want you to see very quickly in our lesson today, and that is the genuine considerations of discipleship. What about being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it not the case that sometimes we need to step back and just scrutinize what's entailed and maybe ask some questions? Let me just provide for you some questions that I believe underscore the crux of the matter. In other words, the bottom line. First, read with me Verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I would encourage you to underscore that word all. Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We have to be willing to forsake all for the sake of Jesus. To be one of his disciples, to be one of his children means that we're willing to put him above any and everything. Four questions I would ask you. Number one, have we submitted all to Jesus? On Pentecost Day in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached the resurrected Jesus. And in verse 36, he said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you have crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. In asking the question, have you submitted all to Jesus, there's a reason for that. Because you see, Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be your ruler. He is, as Paul would say, the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you haven't, you haven't submitted to him. If you, are, if you are still in control, if you are the master of your own ship, if you're, the one, if you're the one calling the shots in life, then you really haven't made him your Lord. Number two, have we surrendered all to Jesus? Now just think about that for a minute. Have we surrendered all for Jesus? We sing the song from time to time, all to Jesus I surrender, I surrender all. That means everything. That means every fiber of my being is surrendered to him. I understand that as a child of God, I belong to him, lock, stock, and barrel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul would say, Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God? You were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
When we surrender all to Jesus, we're saying that we want to live to his glory. Everything that we do is to, is to amplify who he is and what he is to us. We want to live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to him every day. That's why Jesus would say in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. A third question. Have we willingly served all for Jesus? What does the Bible say that we are besides disciples? We're servants, aren't we? The concept of servanthood has a negative connotation in our world today. People, by and large, do not like to think of themselves as a servant. And yet Jesus came and the Bible says, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And here's what the Lord would ask in the long ago. Is the servant above his Lord or master? We are not greater than the Lord. He came to serve. What is it he wants me to do? He wants me to serve. How then can I serve? Did you know that we are the voice for Jesus? In other words, we have to use our mouths to tell others about him, to encourage, to build up. When Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he said, teaching them in verse 20. We baptize them, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we use our voices for the cause of Christ. We use our hands and our feet for his service. In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus talks about that great and final day, he would say in the long ago, I was hungry and what would you do? You fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you came and visited me. What are we doing? We're serving. Paul would say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're serving. That's what we're supposed to be. And then finally, have we severed all for Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24 again? If any man comes to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In verse 26, he asked the question, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What, what we need to understand is this. Anything that would stand between us and our relationship to God, we ought to part ways with. Whether it be activities, associations, whatever. Anything that would stand between us and our relationship to God, we ought to let it go. Nothing ought to infringe upon our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close by asking this question. Have you counted the cost are you where you ought to be as a child of God? Are you what you ought to be? We talk about getting on board with the Lord and being, being on the same page. Well, it's one thing to be on the same page with our family members, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, etc. But what about being on the same page with the Lord? Being with Him. If you're here today, maybe you're not a Christian. I would hope and pray that nothing would stand in your way 
of serving him. I would hope and pray that nothing would impede your service to him. Here's what the Bible says you need to do. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. In other words, we believe Jesus to be the son of God, to be like Peter, for example, who confessed, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And then to repent, to give up a life of sinning, as we've talked about this morning. Jesus would say, except you repent, you will perish. To confess his name before others. I mean, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Would we be willing to acknowledge that? And then to be buried with him in a watery grave of baptism. To rise, to walk in newness of life. To know that when we obey the gospel, all of our sins are washed away. We've been saved and cleansed by the blood of Christ. Acts 22, 16. And then to be faithful until death. To know that the culmination of a life served, a life spent in service to God is not in vain. To know that one day we'll have the hope of heaven. If you're here today, maybe you're not faithful. Maybe you're not where you ought to be. Could we encourage you to come home as we stand and sing?